Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Good morning. How is everybody today? That was super impressive. I'm going to give you one more chance just because I love you so much. How are you today? Anybody good in the house? Feels so much better. I was like, we're going to stop and just have a healing line because this is not good. Uh, We are uh, glad that you're here today, glad that you made it to God's house. I wish that I could, I'm going to welcome, but I wish that I could take every single one of you and put you in my living room and just host you well. So I'm going to do the best that I can this morning as I welcome each one of our campuses. Um, Our campus in Dumas, Texas is online with us today watching. We have Henderson, Kentucky with us today. And of course, Amarillo, you're right here in the room with me. We're so glad to have you here today. uh, One big house, many, many rooms. And so uh, I love it. People ask me all the time, what is your favorite campus? And I tell them, I don't have a favorite campus. Every campus I walk into feels like home and feels like our people. You know, those are my people. Have you ever said that? Like, those are my people. Your church is supposed to be your people. And every campus that I walk into, um, those people are there and I'm encouraged. In fact, we've had people come visit from other campuses and come to the campus that I currently am in that week. And I say, oh, hey, how are you? And I keep going and they'll say, hey, I, I drove a thousand miles to be at this campus. And I can't tell the difference because I think everybody just belongs in the, in the church. And the church is the church no matter what living room we are sitting in that Sunday. So uh, I am grateful that I have the opportunity today to minister to you. I was in our Owensboro campus this week because they had a conference with uh, Prophet uh, Gustavo Paez and they unbelievable move of God and special, special time with the Holy Spirit. And um, so I, w- I went on Thursday night and I, and I sat in that service and I was experiencing it th- then. And then on Friday I was back here and I was watching that service happen. And um, I, I was watching it online because my kids, I was on a flight during the service, but my kids had been watching it online. They love to watch the services. So by the time I got home, they were already telling me everything that had happened happen. And so I went ahead and put it on and I was watching it. And as I watched this sweet young couple um, that I've known for years and years and years, I tease them all the time and I can call them by name, but I don't have to because they already know who they are because I have a special nickname for them. I call this, I tell this couple that her husband was the world's worst intern and the world's best member that has ever stepped across the threshold of our church. And that is the truth. He was the world's worst intern. Everyone who had to watch him and leave him and guide him through his internship with our church was like, this kid is never going to make it. I mean, he just wouldn't 
keep any rule. He wouldn't do anything that he was supposed to do. It was like he didn't want to be there, and yet he would show up every single day, and the judge didn't even make him do it. So we couldn't figure out why he kept coming back. But as he grew in God, it was incredible to watch, and I would say to everybody, because I just love a cocky young man. I don't know why. I just have an affinity for cocky young men. I just have something in me that says they can be somebody. I just believe in them. So I would tell everybody, oh, he's going to be so good whenever he gets this all figured out and sorted out. I just, I believe in him. And they would say, I think you see something that is not there. And I would say, no, I see something deep down on the inside of him, that potential. Sometimes pastors, we can see things in people that other people can't see because God gives us a grace to see deep down and he gives us a prophetic edge to see the future instead of the today and so uh, this sweet young couple got married in our church and they grew in God and they tried to get out a few times and they came back in and it was tumultuous at times and then they started having kids and then you know every kind of thing that hits you in life hit this couple and yet I sat there and watched a word come to them that was one of the most incredible things that could ever happen. I watched as the prophet began to say, he said, are you pregnant? Which was obvious because she's like nine months pregnant and she was sticking out to hear. It's always a bad idea to ask that question though. Like he was really on the edge because that could go wrong. You never want that question to go wrong. So he said, where did that baby come from? And she said, this baby came from a word from you the last time that you were here. And the truth of the matter was she didn't tell the whole story because he didn't ask her the whole story, but I knew her story. That baby was on the inside of her and she had tested positive for being pregnant. And yet when they went to look for the heartbeat, the heartbeat was almost non-existent. And they said, this baby is on its way to not making it. This baby's not going to make it. I believe the baby's heartbeat even disappeared for a moment but the prophet had said that they would give birth to a little girl, that they would have a little girl in their arms. And she refused to take that word from the doctor. And she went and got her husband and she said, you're not going to work tonight. You're coming with me. We're going to this meeting over here with uh, some friends of ours. And she said, they're going to have a healing line. And when they have a healing line, we're going to call this baby back to life. And that little mama who had started out so far behind in the kingdom, not really even raised up knowing all the things of God, not having built her faith very young, but she decided to start building her faith when she met Jesus. She had an overwhelming gift of faith to believe for this child's life. And her husband decided to join with her. And so as he walked out of his, uh, of his job that night and took his wife to that meeting an hour and a half away, as they drove, they began to believe God that that baby would not die, but that that baby would live. And she was just barely pregnant, you know, and she goes in and the man of God is standing there and they're late because they decided at the last minute and he's standing up and he says, you come here. And they come down to the altar and then he says, what do you want from God? And she 
said, I want this baby to live. And he called that baby to life. And he called that baby to life. And he called that baby to life. And she went back in and they said, the heart rate still isn't where it needs to be, but it's up from where it was. She said, we're well on our way to a miracle. She began to call that baby to life. And do you know that within a week, week and a half's time, that baby's heart rate went right to where it was supposed to. Its growth pattern started happening right where it was supposed to. They began to see all the signs of life and success in this pregnancy. And she's probably right now, I think she's like negative two days from giving birth. You know, she's ready to give birth. That baby's going to come forth. And I just sat there and watched this. And it might not mean much to you. But I want to give you a view from the wheelhouse. I think about us calling the church a battleship versus a cruise ship. That we believe that God has called us to build a battleship church that is war-hardened and ready to go. Not just a cruise ship church where everybody's comfortable and getting what they want every single week. Now, everyone doesn't like that. But I believe with all of my heart that Brian and I are called to build a battleship church for God. For this season, for this time for this purpose, because you need to know how to fight in the spirit for what God has for your family. And it's not going to get any less that you need that. You're going to need it more and more as we see the day of Jesus approaching. And I was watching this young couple and I thought, man, and I could just see the structure inside of their life and each room that they built onto their house of faith. And every time that they'd taken the nails and the hammer and they had chosen to build their life on the foundation of God and not escape the accountability, not escape the, the tranquility that they were wanting. They, they stayed in the like, in the harsh, in the storm, in the thing that didn't feel good instead of going after that tranquility. They stayed in the war, in the fight of their faith. And because of it now, they have three little boys, one little girl on the way. God is blessing them financially. Their marriage has been put back together. God has done an incredible work. And from the outside looking in, I'm saying, wow, this is incredible. But I know that from the inside looking out, it was time consuming. It didn't always feel easy. It was a fight of faith. They had to stand in the evil day because their strength was not small. They fought. And people looked at them and said, they're a young couple that'll never make it. But God looked at them and said, I think that we can do something with these two. They have what it takes. And I'm going to take their faith and I'm going to build it. And I'm going to make a life that will work, a battleship couple that loves the things of God. Because at the end of the day, I want you to know this church. At the end of the day, the goal is not coming to a pretty church with pretty music, and pretty people, and pretty things happening all around, and you being entertained every single week when you walk in, and walking out feeling great about yourself. That People don't feel that way when they go to boot camp. How many of you have ever been to boot camp? Not like the gym boot camp, but like the real boot camp. Yeah. Because they call that boot camp, but I feel like it's not. I only have cousins that have gone through boot camp, and they didn't like any of it. But when they came out, they were proud of who God had made them to be. They were 
equipped for the job ahead of them. They were ready to start their journey in the military. They had some tools that they didn't have before. They'd been screamed at a few more times than they had before they walked in to that place and they were better for it. I just know that when a young man or woman go into boot camp, you see them one way. And when they come out of boot camp, they look different. They feel different. They talk different. They walk different. There's a confidence that they have because they know what their job is and they know that they have backup to fulfill that job. This is what I want to say, that in the kingdom of God, a lot of times we want to look good, feel good. We want everyone around us to look good and feel good. But that is not the kingdom. The kingdom of God is different than that. The kingdom of God is striving, looking, searching for God himself. And when we find God through salvation, then knowing him is the gift. A lot of times people think that other things are the gift, but the gift is simply knowing Jesus. Don't ever forget that the gift is knowing Jesus. You might think that the gift is the blessing that comes on your life. You might think that the gift is some kind of financial situation that shifts. You might think that the gift is, is this or that or the other, and it may be important to you, but that's really not the gift. At the end of the day, the primary gift in this thing we call the kingdom is knowing Jesus. When you know Jesus, everything else changes. My pastor in Tulsa that I sat under for three and a half years in his church, I loved him dearly. Every week when we showed up, we did not eat sushi or anything foofy. But every single week, we ate beans and cornbread and green beans and some good vegetables with some good nutrients, and the plate wasn't fancy, but it was incredibly nutritious food. And I feel like when you get the, uh, the, the honor to go to a church where the food is that nutritious and it feeds your, you every single week, that people don't take into account how important that is, the weekly part of Christianity, that just every single day getting up and reading your Bible, praying, and getting to know Jesus just a little bit more, coming to church on Wednesday night and being fed the word. You see, you may go through a whole year when you think that not one sermon is for you. You don't feel it. You know, sometimes people walk out and they say, oh, pastor, that sermon was for me. And I think that's wonderful. But what about the year that the sermon isn't for you? Do you have the stamina? Do you have what it takes to sit in the kingdom of God, to sit in that local church, to decide that that is where you belong, and to eat of the table of faith every single week, all week long? Do you have what it takes to be a battleship Christian? Because it's not about what you think you need today. Because how many of you have ever noticed we think we need lots of things that we do not need? 
But then all of a sudden, after a year of your pastor teaching you things that you are like, oh my gosh, could he move on? I seriously, and I know that I have partners in this moment with me, sat and heard my father teach the book of Acts verse by verse for almost two solid years. And I thought, will we ever hear anything besides the book of Acts? I don't know if we're ever getting out of this. Some of you may remember that time. But do you know that throughout my life, that teaching on the book of Acts has affected the way that I live, the way that I minister, the way that I move, the way that I talk, the way that I believe. It has affected my faith. And at the time, I thought, what are we doing? Seriously? We just, I mean, this chapter has taken four months. I don't even know what we're doing anymore. And yet God changed me from the inside out through that teaching. See, battleship Christians aren't looking for the next best thing that'll just help them with their problem that's happening that week. They're looking to invest into the future of their kingdom life. It's huge. Deciding that you're going to be a battleship Christian is huge. And I watched and I looked at that young couple up on the stage and I said, they have made a decision because they've been in now almost, I'm thinking like 12 years and I'm looking at their life and it's just now taking this really sharp turn in an incredible direction. And I knew it would happen all along and I know that they believed that it would happen all along. But after 12 years of showing up every single time the doors are open, I see this huge just upswing in their spiritual life. And I'm so excited to see what God does for them in the next season. They didn't see something every single day, but they chose to dedicate themselves to being a battleship Christian. And because of it, they are strong. Knowing Jesus is the primary goal. I think that song, and I was talking about my pastor in Tulsa, he would say to us, just know Jesus. You've got to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the greatest gift. Knowing Jesus is the greatest gift. And I thought in college, I know Jesus, but I didn't know that you could know Jesus like I know Jesus at 40 whenever I was 20. I had no idea that he was encouraging me to keep on digging, keep on finding, keep on knocking, keep on seeking, that God wanted to meet me and that I needed to know Jesus. I knew that God had met me behind this stage in the baptismal almost every single day during my junior and senior year of high school. I had sought after him and known him. I knew that God had met me in the classrooms back here outside of the youth ministry every single week as I refused to go up and lead worship until God met me there and I felt him. I don't know if he'd do that for anybody, but he did it for a little 15-year-old girl who was scared to death to get up and lead worship. And I asked God, will you meet me here? I knew that I knew Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus like I know Jesus now. Every single night as I would put my kids to bed, the song that I sing over them is exactly that. It says, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Pretty good lullaby, isn't it? 
Sometimes I sing it over myself when I go to sleep. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. When I get home and everything's a wreck and things are crazy and I don't know where we're going to live or where we're going to lay our head down that day, I choose to sing, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. I'd like all that other stuff, God, but there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. When they tell me that there's another variant coming out, and that it's going to be more deadly than all of the last ones that have come out, and that we need to hide in our bunker because there's no way we're ever going to live through it, I choose to sing, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. Because he's my all, he's the best, he's my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. You see, you can let the world have their storm, and you can keep your peace. You can let the world have their chaos, and you can keep your peace. You can let the world have their doubt, and you can keep your faith. You can let the world have everything that they want and let the storm rage and the wind blow. And if our foundation is firm, nothing happens to our house. Amen. <laughs> Battleships are different than cruise ships because uh, cruise ships are awesome. I mean, have you ever been on a cruise? Unless you get motion sickness like me, then they are not that awesome at all. They are overfed and under-exercised, every single human on that ship. Except for the one crazy that always has to exercise on vacation, and I'll never understand that person. The safety demonstration looks silly, frustrates people. It's the first thing they want you to do. Get out on that deck, put on your little floaty, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I just want to get to the casino. Could they hurry up with this? Nobody wants to touch the safety demonstration. Why? Because it seems frivolous and stupid until the ship starts going down. Then everyone's like, oh, glad we had that safety demonstration. That was fantastic. Thank you for that. And there are a few times that that is needed. Uh, cruise ships... When the boat stops, people start looking for something more fun to do. See, they've already had all the fun on the ship. They've already laid out on the, uh, on the deck. They've already had all the food. They've already shopped. They've already met people. They've already done the rock wall. They've already come down the zip line. They've done everything that they could possibly do to have fun. And the ship stops, and they go lo out looking for something better. The ship stops for a reason, and it's not for you to have fun. The ship has to stop to restock and re-equip. 
The same is true in the kingdom of God. See, but as cruise ship Christians, we don't ever see that part of it. We can only see the fun. Constant entertainment. I need another show. Somebody else tell me a joke. That is awesome. I will tell you a joke today, even if it means that it's making us a little cruise ship today. Are you ready for my new joke? I'm going to help you parents who just put all your kids in school. Uh, Do I have any parents that just put your kids in school? So I told my kids this the other day because I only have one joke and they're all tired of it and Brian's forbidden me forever telling it again. So I decided to find a new joke and this is it. I say, kids, I think it's time for you to go to bed. And they go, why mom? And I'm like, because the cows are laying down in the field. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, that means it's past your bedtime. That's so funny. (laughs) Justice loves that one. Brian, not so much. Uh, See, that will do you good, like a little laughter, but it's not going to keep you all week whenever you're going through things, right? So, well, I mean, it might help some moms this week. I'm not saying that it can't be used by Jesus because it is a pretty epic joke, but I'm just saying, like, you need more than that in order to make it through your life, right? We show up on a cruise ship. We consume everything we can consume, I mean, literally, I see people just pouring ice cream out of the ice cream machine and tossing it in the trash just to get their money's worth. And then we go home rested. And that's the end of the cruise. But see, battleships are different because they're for a different purpose. They eat so they can work. It's a caloric intake output situation. Their safety is their number one responsibility. They think about it. They have plans. They have everything that they need to safely run and get off of that ship in an emergency. When the boat stops, they're not looking for something else fun to do. See, I see this in the kingdom of God. The boat kind of like slows down for a minute, and that's God saying, hey, take a rest, recoup, restock, get everything together and organized because I'm taking you out on a mission and As Christians, we get nervous and we're like, the ship slowed down. Maybe I should look for something else. Maybe I need to walk over here and see what's happening over here. Maybe I need to go over here and see what they're doing over here. But God's just called you to hunker down, restock, rest, and get ready for the next mission. God gives us times of grace and rest on battleships for a reason. They aren't frustrated by the time that they stop, that nobody's frustrated because they need that time. They need the leave. They need to get things done. Uh, Not there to be entertained. No battleship person is there to be entertained. A good game of cards at the end of the night, if you have time and you're not too exhausted, is is probably a really fun thing. You show up, you help people, and you go home tired. I've never seen one military guy or gal come off of that plane as they welcomed them home that they did not look exhausted and ready to see their families in a big, big way. That is battleship living. Battleship living and cruise ship living, they're different. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 7 this morning, verse 13. We're going to read a few verses here about the kingdom of God and the way that we are to live. And I hope it will encourage you as you walk out today 
to live your life, to prepare your life, to think about being that battleship Christian that God has called you to be. Number thir- uh, Verse 13 in chapter 7 is where we're going to start this morning. Matthew 7 and verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Throughout Israel, I would go through these things called the narrow gate. And it's just enough where someone would have to get off of their horse, unload everything, bow down, and make their walk into a building or into a section of the city. And they could not come armed. They couldn't ride in in force. They had to take everything earthly off of them and come in and humble themselves to get into that place. These are the narrow gates that God is talking about. Narrow is the way. You can't bring all your junk in with you. That's why God is trying to strip you of the junk of this life and say, hey, those things aren't really that important. All of that activity is not all of that important. I'm trying to get you into the good place in the narrow way where it's harder to get in, but it is more beautiful when you get there because anyone can come on the broad path because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. How many of you want to go into life? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are like ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes for thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Don't be deceived, church. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. It's really easy to test the fruit of the people that are coming around and teaching the word of God. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Even tree, uh, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Pay close attention to the fruit of people's lives. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. How many times have we dumbed down Christianity to Lord, Lord, here I am. And God is saying, no, it's not. Some of you are going to say, Lord, Lord, but I'm going to say I've never known you. Because I haven't seen you later on. And I haven't experienced you knowing me. God is looking for people who are searching after him, who are seeking him, who are trying to find him. Every tree, I'm sorry, therefore by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says of me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who knows the will of my Father in heaven. Listen closely to people's lives Watch closely what they are doing. Heed what their life is telling you. Are they telling you 
that they want the will of the Father in heaven by the way that they're living their life. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We cannot earn our position in the kingdom of sal with salvation. God gives us salvation freely. But as he gives it to us, we begin to seek after him. The fruit of our life begins to be come up. People begin to see and eat of the fruit of our life. And because of that, we know those who actually know Jesus because they don't practice lawlessness. Jesse, why are you telling me this? Because you're going to need to learn and you're going to need to know how to detect people that are battleship Christians versus cruise ship, just, uh, just sitting by watching it happen. And you're going to need friends that are battleship Christians because in the fight of your life, you're going to need battleship believers that can stand beside you. And this is where we get in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. How many of you want to be wise? How many of you want to be wise? How many in Henderson want to be wise today? Come on, Dumas. How many wisdom people do we want to have around us? And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who bears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the flood came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. One having authority. We know the definition of that around here. Everybody say shmiha. That is the word in the original language for the weight, that oil, the anointing that Jesus had. He was different than other rabbis. And the, he's teaching all of this in red letters, saying, listen, pay attention to the fruit of people. Pay attention to the heart of people. Pay attention to the attitude of people. Watch what's going on around you. Make sure that you become what you say you want to become. Make sure that when we meet, that we know each other. You see, it's the difference in, depart from me, I never knew you, and knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. See, that's the kind of person that God is looking at is, God, I am looking at all of this around me, and yet I'm focused on the fact that knowing you is my greatest prize in this life. Not things, not entertainment, not getting my way, not having everything that I think is important, but knowing you in a deep and personal way every single day. Knowing that Jesus. And as we know him, we begin to build our house. And as we build our house, we are so 
knowledgeable about where God is and what he's doing, that we're building it consistently on the word of God, which is the rock, the foundation. And no one can take that foundation out from under you. When you find the rock of God and you begin to build your whole house on it, the rains can come and the storm can come and it can beat on your house. God never said there wouldn't be a storm. He never said your house wouldn't get beaten on, but he did say that your house could stand the test of time if you build it in the proper place. Pastor John Tatum had a word for us this week, and I'll end with this. He said that he saw in his vision, uh, God gave him a vision. I don't remember if it was a dream or just a vision in front of him as he was awake. And a storm was rolling in. And he said inside he got nervous because when storms roll in, people get nervous. What is it going to do? What kind of storm is this going to be? And as the storm rolled in, God spoke to him. And he said, don't be afraid of the storm. It brings the rain. And the rain brings the fruit. And that's what you need is the fruit of the harvest. But how could Pastor John Tatum not be afraid of the storm? How can we not be afraid of the storm? How do you not get afraid when you see the storm rolling in? How do you see with faith, the eyes of faith, the rain that's coming your way? And believe that in that storm is the answer for the harvest that you need in your life. I'll tell you how. You have built your house on the rock. Because when you're in the house on the rock, the storm does not scare you. The rain will come beat on that house, but it will not fall because you have chosen to be a battleship Christian that listens and obeys the word of God, places it as the foundation, and you are not just a hearer of the word, you're a doer also. I want to bless you today. Will you, will, will you just stand up on your feet and let me pray over you wherever you are in every campus? Lift a hand to heaven if you want to. Receive it. Maybe you lift two hands to heaven. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I bless these people, your people. I call them for such a time as this. Father, give them wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in everything that they do. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would keep them safe, that you would help them, that you would direct them, that you would lead and guide them. I pray that the word would be their foundation, that joy would be their song, that knowing you would be the gift of their life. Father, that you would lead, guide, and direct them in all truth, in all knowledge, in everything that they need, because you promised us that you have given us everything that we need for this life and godliness. So right now I say that they are the head and never the tail. Above only and they are never beneath, that their cupboards are filled with plenty. They have an abundance for every good work. And Lord, we thank you today that every single thing that they touch, it prospers, it pushes forward, it succeeds, it achieves, and it gets greener. In Jesus' mighty name, if you agree, say yes.